Before we get to this episode with Zane Richards, thank you so much to everyone who's left a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you enjoy this show, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. On to the episode. People, I still think, underestimate the value of, you know, someone having like Brian Medlin and Jeremy Hunter around. You know, two wrestling minds that are just, it's weird. It's, they're like encyclopedias, and not just encyclopedias, but applied encyclopedias. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Welcome to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Our guest today is an Illinois legend, Zane Richards. In high school, Zane was a two-time state champ a two-time Fargo champ, and six times he placed top three at Fargo, which is unbelievable. For those of you who don't know, Fargo is the most competitive high school tournament in the country held every summer. It's coming up this weekend, actually. So Zane was a legend in high school, went on to University of Illinois, two-time All-American, and just recently he made his first USA national team. He's an awesome guy and has a true love for the sport. Really enjoyed this conversation. Can't wait for you to get to it. Fan of the week goes to our friend, Vinny Lowe. Vinny Lowe recently ordered a t-shirt on the Wrestling Changed My Life online store. Go to store.wrestlingchangedmylife.com if you want to rep some Wrestling Changed My Life merch. Thank you very much, Vinny. We appreciate it. Last but not least, folks, this episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is your nutritional cheat code. Pour one pack of Athletic Greens into a glass of water, mix it up, slam it down, and you have your daily allotment of vitamins, minerals, and superfoods. You can now, through Wrestling Changed My Life, through this awesome offer, go to athleticgreens.com WCML, get a one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. athleticgreens.com WCML, one-year supply of vitamin D droplets and five free travel packs. Now, without further ado, let's give it up for Zane Richards. Zane Richards, the pride of Carbondale. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? Great to have you, man. Amazing to watch you kind of put the, put the world on fire this past spring, making your first world team. I see Medlin in your corner. Let's just start there, man. How did you get hooked up with Brian Medlin? So, uh, story goes, uh, Brian and I met, it was a camp in Champaign back when I, in like, when I was like 12 or 13 years old, 
it's one of the first or second seasons where I was doing Greco uh, and coach Reagan down in Carbondale and my dad were, you know, big proponents in wrestling in the off season, uh, whether it was freestyle and Greco. I liked Greco a lot. I liked the physicalness of it. I thought it worked well, you know, building my hand fighting skills. And so uh, Reagan brought me up to uh, a camp in Champaign and sure enough, you know, <laughs> just the big beard and everything was running the camp. Brian's there. And, uh, you know, whenever I asked him, I was like, what was going on in your head that day? He's like, I didn't even want to do that camp. You know, he's like, I was, <laughs> I was tired. Like I had like, you know, something going on that weekend or kids or whatever. And, uh, he's like, but I'm really thankful that I did it. Cause I got to find you. And it, it was just weird. Cause you know, I would constantly like every drill or every technique he'd show, I'd be asking a million questions like, all right, you know, should my hand be here or here? Should my head be up in this position? And he's just like, what's going on with this kid? Is he like, is he messing with me right now? You know, cause I guess at those camps, sometimes you, you think those kids are screwing around and, you know, I was dead serious. You know, I'm trying to get better at wrestling and I'm trying to really learn you know, how to do Greco. And, and that's, that's the story of how we met. And how long, I mean, did you start working out with him on the regular during that or? Uh, not that I can remember, but I remember he was really, uh, informative towards my dad and my coach of like getting me to his camps or getting me to the training opportunities up in Oak Park or in Washington at the time, you know, trying to get me on the dual teams. Like he, he recognized right away that I was pretty serious and, and my family and my system was pretty serious for me to be good. And so, you know, anytime that there was an opportunity, you know, he would vouch for me and he would get me involved. Uh, I think it was one of like, you know, Medlin puts on a Greco camp every year. And it used to be when Powell was down there, they would have like a mini duel set up where they would draft teams uh, <laughs> and then wrestle each other. And sure enough, you know, Mike didn't know who I was at the time. So Mike passed me up for another wrestler and Medlin, like you could tell it was real quiet during the draft process. And then he just points to me. He's like, get over here. What are you doing? You know? <laughs> and then I smoked all of Powell's dudes. And then from then on out, Powell claims that he found me first, but uh <laughs> It was definitely Brian. Dude, we just had Mike Powell on last week. Absolutely one of my favorite people, along mm -hmm. with Brian Medlin in Illinois wrestling. And man, what was it like in those Oak Park rooms back then coming up as a as a Southern State guy? Uh, I always looked at it as an opportunity to, you know, put the South on the map a little bit. You know, I, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder like, you know, yeah, these Chicago guys think they're tough. They think they got it. But, you know. I wanted to prove that it don't matter where you're from, you know, and, and the South can definitely bring the heat. And I just, you know, I remembered in there, it, it was definitely some scrappy rooms, you know, e even though I was ready to compete and fired up, you know, it tested you and that room got hot. Those, those guys really knew how to wrestle and they were tough. So you better bring the heat and you better bring the thunder if you were expected to kind of survive in that room and, and that setup, but it was super awesome. Would you uh like was that the Ellis Coleman years? Like who would you work out with from, from during that time? I was a like Ellis was like junior senior around the time I started getting in that room. Uh or you maybe a little bit younger in high school, you know, when I was in grade school. But I was more like with Sammy Brooks uh okay. and, and those guys. So uh like he was the big, you know, you know, one of my best friends growing up, still one of my best friends. You know, I call him all the time or or text him whenever I can at least. I say all the time and you know. That's how oh, guys yeah. are, though. You talk like twice a year, but if you, you pick it up I just like you it was like up. six months ago. It was like yesterday. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, like I, I was around that era of uh, Oak Park, which was still great, you know. But uh, like you know, and Sammy was there, and then from Washington, you know, Dylan Real was there. Uh, 
Brandon Rice, you know, guys like that, I, I gravitated towards. They're great guys, great guys for sure. Dude, I was looking at your dual team on the freestyle side from back mm-hmm. in those era, that era. Dude, team Illinois was bringing the heat. It was like Cortez, Bryce Brill, mm-hmm. you. I mean, it was just boom, boom, Whitford. boom, boom. Whitford, yeah. I forgot about Whitford. Yeah, that's right. He was at 125. Yeah. Like woof. Whitford, Oster would be on there. Uh, you know, he's got Sam Brooks, Dylan Real, uh, Josh Marchock. I mean, he, like almost everyone on that lineup, I'd say probably a good 70% maybe would would wrestle division one and a lot of them have pretty good careers as well. So we were some studs, uh, especially on the freestyle side. And and I'd say on the Greco side too, we were, it's just at the time, whenever we would like pop off and win nationals, it would be names that maybe people were unfamiliar with at the time. And then we would start winning these dual teams and we do, we start performing well at Fargo and then people go, Oh my God, you know, Illinois is this just, you know, gritty, tough state that just wins wrestling matches, you know, and you're not supposed to, you know, we weren't supposed to beat PA at the time, or we weren't supposed to beat Oklahoma or Iowa or Wisconsin, you know, especially in Greco, but we just found a way to outscrap them. Right. uh, Yeah. The cool thing is that it's completely separate people running the show too. Like the Greco guys, like Mm -hmm. totally separate than the freestyle guys at that time. You know, it was, uh, at least from my understanding, the coaches weren't even the same team. So like, what, what was it like in those Medlin pal rooms, like getting ready for like Fargo or for, for the duels Would each, would each guy run a practice or like, how would it work? I mean, it may have been one guy's idea at first, but it definitely, by the time practice hit, it, it melded or molded both personalities into one. And it really came out in such a dramatic and awesome way for a wrestler. Like if you we're a kid growing up or even like a college guy. Like, I just don't understand if you didn't want those guys to be your mentors and your coaches. Uh, I just feel like you don't like wrestling and you don't like being super manly and macho. You know, it was just <laughs> everything. Every drill had a purpose. Every technique was, was not wasted. You know, they never showed junk, uh, but they also wanted you to tear it up. You know, they also wanted you to do highlight moves and they showed you how to do it right. And then every drill just brought out like your manhood, basically, you know, they (laughs) tested you, you know, as this young kid to basically grow up and be, be a man and handle your business where, you know, every, you felt the grittiness of yourself, yourself and your soul get hardened over time. And, uh, you know, at the time I did, I couldn't conceptualize exactly that feeling, but looking back, I mean, those were super informative and important years in my development because, it just showed you that, you know, you can kind of do it all in wrestling. You don't have to be a technical guy or you don't have to be an athlete. You can be a gritty athlete who's got the best technique in the country. And they just brought it out. Phenomenal coaches. And they made it fun too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it, they made it a lot of fun where, you know, yes, wrestling is a hard sport, but you got to make it more enjoyable. And they made it that every day. And so would you guys do your Fargo camp separate than like the freestyle only guys? Uh kind of alongside of it so back when i was wrestling greco was first so you showed up for greco and you're doing your sessions and then the last two three days uh you know if you were a doubler they wanted you to get one in one style one in the other style one in one style you know and i was always like can i do all three practices you know and they're <laughs> like no <laughs> you psycho like you like we want you to perform well at fargo i'm like that's stupid i should be able to wrestle all three and then still you know wrestle later but uh uh yeah and and usually one of them 
you know, typically Medlin would show up for the freestyle practice and kind of govern you a little bit just because he understood from the beginning of camp where your body was at and where your mind was at. So he could kind of keep you dialed in or pull off uh, on the brakes a little bit if, if need be. Mm-hmm. Man, it's just like to think back on the, the amount of national titles won for Team Illinois back in the, that era, whether it was the duels or Fargo itself. I mean, do you know how many you were a part of national team champs? Uh, a lot. Probably like, at least like more than like three or four, I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, it felt like, you know, I did cadets both years, juniors both years. And then I think my, my, oldest year in cadets I did both and I only remember (laughs) yeah uh and so yeah now and I think I only took like two matches off that year that I did both so I got like just in duels I got like 20 something matches in which was the coolest thing ever wow uh but high level matches too you know what I mean mean, like out there scrapping with like the best guys from each state and you that's 20 in June and then Fargo you probably put in another like 12 to 16 matches Oh, for sure. For sure. And it, it was probably more a lot of 20 because the pool play, I mean, you wrestled it all the way down and I was at the weights that weren't like, you know, no offense to like the 106 pounders or 94 <laughs> pounders or whatever, but you know, you hit like 126, 132. Like those are typically the bracket sheets that, you know, when you held up on the podium, it would roll out onto the floor type of thing. And uh, it was a lot of matches, but I, you know, for one, I loved it. I love wrestling. And the fact that, you know, I got an opportunity to wrestle that many matches in my life is just the coolest thing in my mind. Uh, really thankful for that. And then, you know, the other thing that my dad always professed to me growing up and, and, you know, my, my home coach too, with Reagan, they would say, you know, this is your opportunity to wrestle the best guys in the country, you know, go there, compete, go scrap with them, whoop their butt, and then come back. We'll make corrections. Then when it comes to Fargo, you know, you're not just winning matches, but we'll be teching guys. And that happened a lot where I would scrap it out with some, you know, someone good from Oklahoma or Wisconsin or whatever, and it'd be closer, you know, maybe I took a loss. Right. And then come Fargo, you know, I'd smoke them. And and I, cause I, I would, you know, meticulously think about like, okay, where did I get beat? Why was it so close? What should I add to my game or or bring out in myself if I want to actually dominate this tournament, uh, you know, and guarantee a title as much as you can actually guarantee something. I mean, you you only can really control like 10% of what's going on out there, but. Right. Well, it's cool to to think back on it. And, you know, especially because it's Fargo week here, it's coming soon. And I know you were a coach for team Illinois at the duels in some capacity is the training camp going on right now at the university of Illinois. Is it like it Uh, used to? Yes. So we're in the armory right now. So instead of the ice arena, it's right next door in the armory. It's a little bit bigger, a little bit hotter, you know, the sun's <laughs> on you a little bit more, which I like, we actually just got done with one of the practices. So, uh, you know, I'm like running over, I'm sweating, I'm, I'm, you know, wrestling with the kids and stuff, showering up, getting ready for this podcast. But, uh, uh, you know, I love it. I, I love the coaching part of it. I just love wrestling in general. And, uh, especially anytime I can give back, you know, what was given to me, you know, I try to give my best effort, you know, anytime a kid's like, Oh, can, you know, can we scrap this go? It's like, yeah, maybe I don't want to in that moment. Cause I haven't warmed up or, or maybe it's the off season and, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit banged up, but you know, I see a look in this kid's eye of like, this is my chance to wrestle this high level guy. I can't say no to that, you know, cause I would have asked the same thing. And mm-hmm. So, uh, 
it's just a super awesome opportunity. And, and I got to say, the guys are, are responding really well to the training we're putting them through. So I'm super excited for this Fargo. I was going to say, how, how are the, uh, how are the Illinois hammers looking, man? I know we didn't win the duels, but we were right there and you got some guys studs on the team going into Fargo. For sure. I mean, I think the studs look pretty good right now. Uh, and you know, I think one thing that we're, that we overlook to, uh, especially, you know, all these websites talk about like why certain teams win. Oh, they got this stud and that stud. You know, you got guys that maybe are those borderline kids, the blood round kids or kids the round before the blood round, and they show up to camp and you give them something to be inspired about, or you show them one technique of like, hey, when you get a push out, look for this thing. Uh, you know, I can't release all the information out right now. <laughs> I can't, can't give the other states the edge. But, uh, you know, you show them that thing and then you, you're there and you're watching these kids that you've only known for a couple of weeks, but they execute the technique and it gets them on the podium. And I think that's one of the things we've been known for when I've coached at Fargo, you know, in, in my short career there as a coach is, you know, in those later days, in those sessions where people are kind of losing their minds, almost we're finding <laughs> ways to win matches and scoring points when, you know, it matters the most. Uh, I mean, you know, especially in Greco, because, because so much of that is about just a fist fight and, and who's going to figure out a way. I, mean, I remember one year it's like we won in the blood round like four or five matches in the last 12 seconds you know where, where we're losing or we're winning and we've got to pull something kind of out of our butt to find a way to win but then you watch that as a coach and you just like how are you not the most excited you've ever been in your life you're dog tired but these guys just gave their best effort possible and doing heroic things you know for 14 to 18 year old kids you know it's just remarkable to see what what they can do you hear that team Minnesota look out. We're ready, baby. We're Always. ready. Dude, Always. those pinnacle guys have been looking good lately. I'm just, it's so exciting to see those guys putting, you know, such a focus in all the States now are so tough. You know, it's like, everyone's got, got their a games. The Seabolt squad has got some killers. Mm -hmm. They're, they're lining some dudes up. So it's uh it's awesome to see. I, I love this week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's good. You know, it, it's good. First of all, you know, we needed a challenge. It was getting boring. <laughs> yes. Uh, playing around, of course, but uh, in, in, in good fun. But uh, but in all seriousness, you know, I, I always respect whenever a club is doing it the right way and they're producing good kids. And, you know, I want to see more top-level kids coming out of all over the country doing it the right way and, you know, having more progression where kids are staying in and they're staying at a high level. And I think that's how you grow wrestling. Uh, you know, because it's something we always need to be thinking about as much as we we try to focus on winning and producing and things like that. Well, part of producing is also drawing more people to the sport and showing them that it can be accomplished at a high level and wrestling at a high level is very enjoyable. You know, I think is like the next step. And mm -hmm. Having lots of clubs that can do that probably increases our chances of, of having our sport go, you know, the next hundred years or however long. Man, I think of immediately the Askren guys, they seem to do a great job of like teaching a love for the sport. And then, you know, shout out to the great Izzy style. Those guys have a, a lot of fun in there. Is mm -hmm. the, uh, let me ask you this, is the man of the hour, uh, one of the studs of Illinois, Cannon Webster, is he on campus right now getting ready? Is he wrestling this year? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, am I allowed to say that? I mean, you're, you're afraid. I don't know. Like, no, like, I just didn't know if he was, uh, I didn't no. even know if he was doing Fargo or not this year. I'm not like in the trenches, like some of these, uh, some of these guys are, but uh, I just know he's a hammer and won it last year. I didn't know if he was out there. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, 
I look at Cannon as like that. That's a that's someone I really want to see career do well. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with him, working with him, and uh, you know he's he's looked great. He's at camp right now and uh, just looks well, and he, and he shows up every day, really trying to get the most out of himself. You know, and it's some days it's like it holds me accountable when I'm practicing. I look over at Cannon and I'm like shoot this dude's out working dude's me out going. Step up a little bit like holy crap man like i don't want to get my, my butt whooped by this you know this lanky kid with hands the size of you know <laughs> bananas like good lord but he's looked great uh you know he's developing his offense and and working on you know just his overall quality as a wrestler and uh love being around that kid you know you know super awesome person so yeah man i'm, I'm excited to watch all the guys and when you think about some of your development everyone knows that you know medlin has just ties within ties in Russia, you know, and you guys go over there all the time. And oh, yeah. I see on your Instagram, you're going at Christmas time. You're, you're going at all times. Tell me about your first trip over there. What memories do you have of that experience? Uh, yeah. So, the, I mean, the first one I was coming off of shoulder surgery. So I had only been on the mat for like a month and a half or two months. So one of my memories is the fact that I wasn't in the greatest of shape. Uh, you know, which, you know, sucked a little bit, but it was also good. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you're going to come back and try to get into shape, you know, why not do it in a way that like forces you to try to execute technique properly. And, you know, memory wise, you know, th- there's all sorts of things like, you know, we got stuck in an elevator on our way back and that's not something <laughs> you want to have happen in a country where you could barely speak the language. I didn't speak it at all. And Medlin, you know, his, his Russian was, you know, getting better wasn't super great. Now it's like pretty dang good, but you know, we're stuck in an elevator on the way back and we get there and, you know, at first they walk different, you know, their, their mannerisms are different. And I'm, you know, I overthink things sometimes. So I'm thinking like, I'm sticking out like a sore thumb, like I don't belong, but you know, once the practices started and once you got into the training, it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what language you spoke. It didn't matter what country you're from they understood you were there to get better. And if you were respectful and trying to learn and giving your best effort every day in practice, you know, they recognize that. And they really, you know, they've took, they've taken to that. And I've made some good friends over there, even though we barely understand each other when we talk, we, uh, uh, we definitely respect each other and, and, you know, highly recommend if anyone gets a chance to safely get over there, uh, I would, I would recommend it. And you guys are going to Osetia? Yes. So we go to uh, Vladikovkas and Osetia and, uh, you know, we, we've got uh, kind of like a host family that, that helps us out over there. Uh, and, you know, we're watching some of the top guys in the world train right next to me, you know, and uh, some of their young studs, you know, I'm working with or I'm watching them compete next to me, too. And so that room is uh, super competitive, especially if you're a middleweight to an upper weight. Like I I don't know what other room you could uh you know, ask for other than like the national team camp rooms in America. Right. Uh, you got Sitikov, you got Baev, right. I mean, yeah, you, got, you got all the Valias, you got Sitikov, Baev, uh, you know, and, and there's a bunch of other guys in there, you know, lightweight and heavy where, you know, they're pulling home hardware. And at the time, you know, we wanted to go there because it was the most decorated Olympic, you know, metal gym in the mm-hmm. world. So we're thinking, well, if you're going to go wrestle at some place, you might want to go to the one that has a system for getting it done. Uh, and I, you know, one thing that was vivid was just they trained different, you know, and not so drastic that it wasn't wrestling, 
but it was different enough to where I, you know, it definitely changed how I thought about the game of, you know, not everything has to be this way to get it done, you know, especially because we have a folk style system where there's a lot of teams with a lot of success doing it the way they've done it. But freestyle is a bit of a different game and learning how to actually execute your training, not just the matches is really important. Yeah. It's man, I, I can't even imagine how cool it must be to be in that environment and to see the, the subtleties of how things are different. One of the things I love is just kind of going through how they look at a typical day in the life. What does that look like just based on your experience going over there? So my experience day in the life of a wrestler, uh, you know, you get up and you, you know, maybe you get a little drink of water or maybe a little bit of tea, but most of the guys get up, they put on their, uh, their jackets and stuff. Maybe the, you know, they're religious over there. So some of them will, will say a prayer and then they go outside and, and they just kind of go on like a team walk for anywhere from 10 minutes to a half hour. And most of the time I've gone, it's been in the winter time. So it's cold and it doesn't matter if it's ice, snow, some of them will just stand outside, but they get outside for that first 30 minutes of the day, just to kind of wake up, you come back in, uh, you know, the training gym and breakfast is already made for you. Uh, in like the dining hall area, all of it's connected in one building. So you got your dining hall on the first floor above it, you have your, uh, dorms and then right next to the dining hall is like a six now it's an eight mat gym and so it's all connected you know here at a building it's like you got everything you need like let's get this job done and what so, time are you guys getting up getting up around seven ish like people are walking around seven seven thirty breakfast is around eight eight thirty you know sometime in there i get up a little bit earlier just because you know flying over and then my cycle is usually a little bit out of whack but uh, I like getting up a little bit earlier in general. So, you know, I'm probably up like 30 minutes to an hour before they get up. And that's maybe when I check on the news that what happened last night in America mm -hmm. uh, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, they're up, they're eating breakfast by about 830. And then you got a little bit of time to get your day going. You know, a lot of them just hang out or, or talk to each other. Some of them go back up to the room, shower and uh, 11 a.m. practice rolls around. So everyone goes down to the practice, you line up. Uh, on the wall, the coaches have some sort of speech about maybe what uh, what they're going to do technically that day, what they need to work on. Sometimes you have like a guest wrestler who's not from around the area. Like when Bajrang was there, you know, they have him walk out, raise his hand, everyone claps for him. And, you know, there's a lot of like respect being given out in these gyms before practice even starts. You know, and I see that on our, on our national team practices a lot you know coach Zadik will say things like all right you know we have this guest in here today we have this guest. and maybe they're not even super involved with that practice but it's just they're showing respect that time has been spent and effort is being given to the sport and they do that a lot over there coaches usually get their hands shaken by all the wrestlers as you start warming up and you get warming up you get into practice and uh don't you know, skip practice. the warm up on us now. Don't skip the warm up. Oh yeah, yeah. What's going on? What's going on there? Anything different, or is it status quo? No, nah, I mean it, it's it's different. You know, some of the exercises. The first time I I saw them, I thought they were kind of silly, like kid kid exercises. I'm like, what, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> let's get some sprints in. You know, let's get some hard tumbling. Let's do this. Rah rah rah. You know, and they're doing things where like they're waving their arms weird, but then. You know, over time, like I've adopted into my warm up and it, it builds a lot of athleticism that you don't realize, you know, like 
a little kid telling him to like move his arms in like a goofy motion is building hand-eye coordination, right? We see it as an adult as like, well, that's silly. Why would you do that? It's like, well, because it's hard to do as you run, you know, as you spin in a circle and we're building our body mechanics. So there's a lot of stuff like that. You got your standard shuffling, uh, not really a lot of stance and motion, light tumbling. So forward rolls, backwards rolls, but then crab walk, forward, backward, cartwheels, you know, bear crawls, things like that. And then you get into like this dynamic stretching where, you know, now we're like, we're bouncing, we're, we're doing high kicks while we're bouncing, we're doing jumping jacks, we're doing burpees, we're, we're lunging side to side, we're doing bridge spins. And the warm-up can take anywhere from, I'd say the shortest warm-ups we've had over there are 15 minutes, the shortest. And then most of them last anywhere from 20 to 28 minutes. Like they're long warm-ups where, you know, you look around the room, guys are sweating and you, they are ready to go. You know, and so, and and that's what I think a warm up should be. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of times we get kids coming in and they do a couple sprints. Their heart rate went up a little bit. And they're like, "All right, I'll warm up as I drill." And no, like when drilling starts, you are warmed up and you should be ready to execute your technique as fast as you can go. You know, and that's what happens. You start drilling, and you know it's very light resistance. So I'm not going to sit there and like keep my elbows in like tight on you. Maybe I'll start that way. But then as your hands get to the spot, I'll just move my arms for you. And when you go, I mean, it's like an explosion, you know, and you think you're going fast and their coaches will walk around right by you. And they're looking at you like, why are you going so slow? You know, like you look like you're moving in quicksand. Uh, (laughs) I mean, they, they do. They look at you like, what are you doing? Like, you know, this isn't time to warm into it. Boom, fast, you know. Like a nice well, slow high C. Like they, no, they, none of that. When it's when it's time to drill, I mean, it's bang. Everything should be tight. The technique should be clean and you should be fast. You know, not a lot of resistance from your partner. And, you know, that's how they drill. And we, we wonder, you know, man, they're so fast or there's, their timing and feel is so, so good. It's like, yeah, because their whole system is based on that, just that feeling motion of, every rep they've ever hit was fast. So Mm -hmm. when they explode, I mean, it's years of body muscle and tissue built to be explosive. Uh, Yeah. One of the coaches always would tell me, he goes, short time, time short. And it just, (laughs) you know, I'd look at him after I hit a rep and he'd shake his head and he'd just do this. And I knew I was like, I'm not going fast enough, you know? So, uh, but yeah, I mean, super explosive. Then by the time, you know, maybe five, six minutes of that, Usually you do like three minutes upper body and then you start only doing leg attacks. Uh, Then you get into like sparring and sparring, you know, is definitely an experimental time. You try things you're trying to, uh, you know, you're trying to be competitive, but winning isn't the ultimate goal. Getting better at wrestling is when you're sparring. So, uh, you know, there's a fine line in there. I will say if you go overseas and you're American and they say push, push, which means sparring, uh, they're not about to spar with you. You're going live. Really? Oh yeah. No, there's, I don't know how many times, like I look around, you know, they're kind of play wrestling, sparring. And then the guy like shake my hand, like he's about to go easy. And I just get blown off my feet, slammed on my head. And I'm like, all right, I guess I should have seen that coming, you know? So by the time, you know, anyone says push, push to me anymore or, or let's spar. I'm like, okay, this guy wants to go live right out the gate. So you got to be ready to go. So word of warning, don't get caught off guard if, if they're wrestling <laughs> you or you're the hardest wrestling group in the room. 
Like that's just something that they do, which is see. Yeah, I thought I thought it'd be the opposite because I've heard that when Americans go over there and drill, sometimes they drill too hard. Like they'll come in with a club and they'll get pissed that you're like hand fighting too hard during the drill. Right during the drill, but during the so spar, it's different. Time, right, sparring is different. The drill is super. You know, again, we're like, oh, you got to move them five, six times, and then you'll work on your setup into your shot. Just, no, drilling is one touch go. You know, maybe one setup go, maybe move, move, go. And there's just not a lot of resistance. You know, it's not, you know, I think they look at it as like, why would we beat our bodies up in this moment when it's really just getting our finer fine tuning and our sharpening of our skills, right? Mm -hmm. And you can do all those things without bang, clubbing your partner, right? Yeah, I can be heavy with my hands and really move them, but I don't need to cause a ton of damage to them. You know, then when we get into sparring and live, that's whenever we can really start ramping up the, the total intensity of it. And do they do a lot of situations? Yes. Yes. Almost every spar is some sort of variation of wrestling. And I will say, especially during their training camps for the Oregon or for the national tournament, they always spar one, uh, one situation Greco. Right. And so I think that's something that we should take away as a country for you, you know, Greco naysayers out there, uh, <laughs> understand that, uh, you know, Russia is, practicing Greco, even in the freestyle practices, they spend at least three minutes spar, probably more like two, three minute goes in a Greco position. And it's important, you know, scoring, not just from leg attacks is part of the game. And we've got some guys in, in, you know, who had won world tournaments from Russia or other countries where they don't even have a leg attack, but they're world champions, you know, and that should show you that what the value of wrestling upper body gives you. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I did the audio documentary on Brandon Slay wrestling Satiev, we did a, a episode where we did a flashback on Satiev. Dude mm -hmm. won uh, his first world title and nothing but a slide by, just all mm -hmm. from that upper body feel. I mean, that was he lived off that. Oh, for sure. You know, and uh, I actually got <laughs> uh, this happened at one of our Fargo camps. Steve Marionetti, you know, he helps coach, and he claimed there's no video out there of Adam Satiev ever hitting a penetration set. And so I'm like, I watch <laughs> I'm like, I watch a lot of video. I bet I can find one. And, you know, I started searching for like a good half hour, hour. And like, I'm like, I don't know if this dude ever hit a penetration step. And then finally there's one video where, I mean, just classic head tap, pull single leg, but he didn't even finish the single leg. So like Steve's like, well, it doesn't <laughs> count if he doesn't score it, does it? You know? So we're, we're having that debate every year just about, I still think I won the bet, but when he, when he took out Yoel, I don't know if it was an inside trip or what it, whatever it was, but it was like right off the bat, mm -hmm. put some big points up, but he retired early. I mean, he could have mm -hmm. maybe had, you know, as many titles as his brother. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know why I, uh, I would assume, you know, he, he was probably up a weight, which makes it harder. And maybe he took more damage because of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I know when I've read things about the man, uh, he seemed to be more invested in not saying, uh, you know, his brother wasn't, but he seemed to be really invested in the community, uh, yeah. like uh, at home as a large and uh, a little bit more devout religiously, which I can't fault either of them for picking the past that they chose. I mean, they're both idols of mine. So those are all reasons. And, you know, everyone gets to make choices in their life. And if, despite what we may think as wrestlers, you know, being on a podcast and all that, there are things other than wrestling in life that are 
very important, probably more important, although I hesitate to say probably, you know, but uh, they're certainly more important than prosecutors. Well, like like you said, like Bovisar lives in Moscow and is a politician and Adam lives in, I don't know if it's Chechnya or, or Dagestan, but one of the two and lives, you know, lives with his mom still. He's very right. religious, you know, and, and works at the local the local gym. Um, but yeah, just imagine like him versus Kale in the 04 finals would have been electric. Mm-hmm. That was a I mean, that would have been a match to see. So w- when you guys go over there just to tie the knot on Russia, I see a lot that they spend time in the sauna. And I got to mm-hmm. ask, what's the hat you wear in the sauna? Oh, the I don't know. I mean, Tom and Terry are always wearing it. Ask, ask those crazy guys, you know. But uh, <laughs> Is it uh, a Russian thing or just a, a wrestler thing? No, I think it's like a sauna thing. Like, I think they do it, it overseas in a lot of different sauna houses. I don't know if it was invented in Russia or whatever. It's, supposedly it's supposed to keep the, the heat distributed more evenly in your body and kind of away from your head. So, you know, if you're sitting in the sauna and your head gets overly hot, you're going to feel like you want to get out of the sauna a lot more soon than if your head wasn't just burning up. If your body was hot, but your head felt relatively cool, you know, you'll stay right. in there maybe a little bit longer. I think that's the idea. Again, it could just be like a, you know, one guy came into the sauna one day drunk and was like, hey, guys, check out what I'm wearing. And as a practical joke, everyone went along with it. Now we just have these generations of people wearing a practical joke. I don't know. (laughs) Fair enough. I didn't know if there was some secret voodoo in there from the uh, from the Caucasus Uh, Mountains. No, I think it just helps you stay in a little bit longer. But I will say those saunas are no joke, you know, for sure. Uh, Hotter than ours? Oh, easily, easily. I think, I mean, we can get ours that hot. I'm not saying we can't, but a lot of times when we go into a sauna, we have an idea of, you know, I should be able to sit 15, maybe 20, you know, plus goes, you know, for a long period of time and really sweat. And in those suckers, man, if you stay in for 15 consistently, you're one of the toughest dudes I've ever met. Cause that 15 minutes is a battle. Like that is a battle to stay in for that long. I mean, I've gone into some of them where the boards are so hot, I left with like second degree burns basically on my body. Like my, like I laid down and they hit me with the leaves. And when I got out, I mean, I had blisters like on my shoulders because of where they was touching the boards uh, in the sun. I mean, it's hot. And, you know, Medlin always, he's like, you go sit up on the top row, I'll sit on the bottom. I'm like, thanks, man. And then, you know, they're hitting me with the leaves, they're pouring water, I'm dying. And, you know, I'm like, breathing heavy just to calm myself down and then one's like don't make noise you know control yourself right now and i'm like this is ridiculous like (laughs) i'm literally blistering on my body and you're trying to tell me not to make breathe loud because you know that's too much but at the same time if that's what he thinks is good for me i better listen right so so do they sauna after like that 11 a.m workout no no they only sauna like maybe twice a week usually twice a week and then uh on wednesdays is like your off day uh, not an off day, but like in the morning, you'll either play a game like, uh, you know, call it Russian basketball, which is basically just rugby and basketball combined. Mm-hmm. And then uh, some guys will do cross, you know, fit type stuff or go for a run. And then you'll go in the sauna and then the rest of the day is off. Uh, and then you train hard again, Thursday, Friday, usually Friday is, is the most match situational live wrestling. You know, they, they get away from situations, but they'll do maybe two matches in the morning, one or two at night. And typically it's like a warm up, small drill. We're going matches, you know, every, at the end of every week, it's almost like a, 
you know, the week you're teaching yourself the, the tools in school, you're taking quizzes, you know, you're learning exercises. And then Friday is the test. You know, did you get better this week? Are you working on the things that you probably should have been? Are you executing better or whatever? And then Saturday is kind of the same thing as Wednesday, maybe a little bit longer of a, a you know, lift or rope type workout because you're, you're done for that day and Sunday is completely off. You know, they, they get mad if you try to work out on Sunday. You know, they, they're super big believers in the fact that, hey, you're doing nothing. Like, it, we relax here. So, and I think that's super important. Like, that's something I, you know, one thing in the United States we probably should do a little bit better about. And I think the better clubs and the better programs understand that, but recovery is a big part of the sport. Mm -hmm. You know, if you just keep running yourself down, you're never going to quite execute at your full potential when you drill or when you do live wrestling. So when it's time to rest, you need to recover as much as you possibly can. So when you execute your technique, you can actually break through the barrier of, of being faster. You know, you can be stronger. If you, if you don't take those rests, well, you never really recover. And then you're just practicing at half capacity, which creates bad habits. Yeah, it definitely sounds like we have a bit of overtraining and, and definitely have in the past, hopefully less so now. Mm-hmm. And it's so like when you get to the match day on Friday, is it one session or two sessions? Two sessions. So pretty much every day is two sessions. Earlier in the week, you might just have a uh, session where – you know, in the morning, you're, uh, uh, in the morning, you're, uh, sorry, my boy, Ed Ruth just came in here. Ed Ruth. Uh, what's up? Past podcast guest. <laughs> uh, so, you know, earlier in the week, you got like small, uh, smaller workouts or maybe one larger workout than the afternoon you play basketball or a cross training workout. Typically, you know, you see your better wrestlers, tend to not play basketball as much, but they do, you know, it's, it's not like they don't, you know, ha- like having fun. Uh, gets out there? The w- who does Sitikoff? He's like the one I've never seen. Like he, in which, man, I don't know, you know, he might be the best one. So like, <laughs> uh, maybe there's something to that, but you know, you got guys like Nick Bonoff and, and Valley of and them, you know, they're, they're jumping off the wall and dunking and doing crazy stuff. So, uh, you know, they have fun, but, uh, definitely on like match days or later in the week, they're, they're not doing much of that. You know, it's pretty serious. Uh, and on those match days, you can tell, especially on like the Friday day where it's two sessions, maybe two matches in the morning or three matches in the morning, two at night, uh, where there's a ton of wrestling. Everyone's a little bit more quiet. You know, everyone's just a little bit more zoned in and locked in, ready to compete. And, uh, you know, I get it. You know, if, if you go into school, you're a little bit more focused, ready to take that big exam at the end of the year. Well, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at your live day, your match day as kind of an exam, you need to be a little bit more focused and ready to go, you know? And so again, it's, it's another thing that I admire about their system. And I think, you know, we don't have to do it exactly like that, but it's something to take note about. Even if there's anything like one or two things, you know, we can grab and bring back. It's worthwhile. For sure. You know, and, I also understand too, you know, we're very competitive with them. It's not like we're, we're light years behind them or anything. And we just got to reinvent the wheel. And there's certain things government wise that they're allowed to do that we're not allowed to do. You know, their kids wrestling is all state funded. Mm -hmm. So their coaches are already paid for. You don't have to sign kids up and, and pay an entry fee to tournaments, or you don't have to pay for, 
coaching or anything like that. It's given to you by the state. And so you would think that wrestling would be more popular if parents didn't even have to spend money on an after-school program. Uh, but that's just not going to happen here in the United States. Right. Like to get like an overtime quality of coaching back in our day, you know, team overtime for free. Imagine if you could do that throughout the country. I mean, obviously things would be that much better. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's what's happening. You know, they're getting a Sean Bourmet down at just the local gym every day. You know, hey, you know, 11 a.m., like, you know, he's going to be there. Or Jeremy, no charge. Hunter's gonna, <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Hunter's running practice at 3 p.m. tonight, guys, for the week. So, you know, do, do with that what you want. Brian Madeline's going to have a session at noon, you know, right. at this location. And they spread it out to where, you know, they, they try to find all the talent that they can in their country. So uh, it's a very uh, – you know, it's different from my perspective for sure, but it is something that I think we should take note of and, you know, at least kind of understand the beast a little bit, especially if we want to overtake them on a consistent basis. Absolutely. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, IMR is back home. Big news for the Illini Nation. You know, Coach, Coach Poet is excited. Everyone's excited. Uh, just give us your thoughts on IMR returning. Uh, well, I was supposed to be – the best man at his wedding. And then he, uh, then COVID happened. So, you know, the fact that uh, one of my best friends is coming back home, you know, I just love that having him around because uh, he's such a great guy and he was a big influence on me, but coming into the staff, uh, you know, I don't know if you could ask for a better fit because you know what you're getting, right. You know, his philosophy. Uh, I think he has learned in his short career away from Illinois, he has learned a lot more about actually coaching. And I think he's, he's very hungry and he's ready to go. And if I know Isaiah, there's one thing he is, it's competitive. And so, you know, if he's transitioning into a pure coaching role, uh, you know, you better watch out on the recruiting trail and you better watch out in that wrestling room because this sucker doesn't like losing. And, Come on now. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, and so if you're an Illini fan, I would be very excited. Obviously, things take time. We can't get ahead of ourselves, but, you know, we're looking at one of the most decorated staffs in the country right now. And, uh, you know, I, I, I put the challenge on our current Illini wrestlers to say, hey, man, you know, we are giving you about as good of tools as you can ask for. And if it's not, then, you know, you got to look inside yourself at that point. And let's get those high scores listening. Let's let's build let's build it up in state, boys. Let's keep it in state if we can. Because man, seeing University of Illinois back on top of the Big Ten, like during the Mark Johnson era, what would be better than that? Unbelievable. Yeah, I know. I know. I like orange and blue. I've always liked that color combination. And then the fact that you know that's a home for me. I, I think it belongs at the top of the podium every single year. You know, but so w- when you were going through college. How, like when you were a junior and you got fourth, how old was Imar? I think he, he was a year younger than me. So he was a sophomore that year. So he was winning his second consecutive at that point. Yes, I believe so. I believe so. Man, to, watch, so, runs together, but. to watch someone like that come in so explosive and just so confident, it must have been incredible to be a part of. Oh, for sure. I mean, it was, it was jaw-dropping to say the least. I mean, he was doing stuff <laughs> in the wrestling room where like, you know, you go lighter guys first, little heavier guys second. Me and Jeremy would be looking at Isaiah hitting something nonsensical, you know, with the the power and skill he has. And we just like, 
eye each other and shake our heads like, well, it'd be nice to have that, you know? <laughs> uh, but at the same time, you know, the, the thing that makes made Isaiah great, I think above all else was his mind. You know, he was so, when, when he was locked in, he was in such absolute belief of himself, you know, and he would say the craziest things that he would read out of some article on the internet, but he would quote it to himself like a religion. And then like he what? Was, I forget. There was one where he, I forget the exact saying, Brian knows it, but specifically he was wrestling uh, Nolf before the final, you know, for the world team trials, before he wrestled Burroughs in the final X, the year he beat Burroughs in the match. And Isaiah, I think won the first match and then second match, he's winning late. And then something silly happens on the edge of the mat. He gives up four and he loses the match, right? So now you got all this momentum in Nolf's favor. You're going a third match when you think you weren't, you weren't going to wrestle a third match. And this guy, you know, Jason Nolf is a good wrestler and he's hungry and he wants to beat you, you know? And so a lot of guys at that point kind of shift their mentality down. And Isaiah just had a mantra. Uh, gosh, I, I forget not no having it in the moment because it could change so many lives right now, you know, but, <laughs> uh, but he, just, you know, Brian and I, all he did, he just sat there almost like catatonic and like you tell him technique and he would just be like kind of nodding off and then you'd see him be mumbling something. And then sure enough, as he's walking out there, he's just repeating it like verbally out loud, out loud, you know, boom, 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 boom. And then he goes out and he, and he rustles phenomenal, you know, does the complete opposite of what most of these stories uh, tell you. And it's moments like that where I really understood Isaiah to be one of the strongest uh, mentally focused guys, you know, that I've ever met in my life when it came time to it, you know? So, and that's like, that's so rare. I mean, during the moments of battle like that, where two dudes going at it, like a Nolf and an IMR or a JB and an IMR, mm -hmm. It's it's the rarest of things to have two people going at it who actually believe they can win in that scenario. Right. And it makes for amazing wrestling. You know, there I think that's one reason why people love watching Isaiah is because he would wrestle to his fullest potential on a consistent basis. And if two guys at that level are wrestling to their fullest potential, like it's incredible. You know, just feeling the energy. You could not know anything about wrestling, but you can feel the human spirit that's involved mm -hmm. in those matches. And that's got to, you know, that is something why I think we still watch wrestling as a society, because by all means, society is so comfortable at this point that we shouldn't be watching two dudes beat each other up. <laughs> but like, there's something in us that says like when two guys go to fist fight each other and they're trying as hard as they can, like it just brings out that inner human and what makes us human in one moment. It's just, you know, without sounding too corny, you know, it's just a beautiful moment for, for yeah. life reality. It is, man. Especially when you put a dude like that with the explosion that Imar has, I've heard people say that like his explosive power is like nothing they've ever felt before. He's, he's the strongest human being I've ever felt. Before. <laughs> maybe, maybe Ed Ruth, maybe Ed Ruth, but I haven't felt Ed for that long, you know, so. Awesome, man. It's so good to get just, I just, um, so pumped for coach Poeta putting together that staff. And I think, the tweet or, or something like that was most NCAA finals appearances are tied for the most of any coaching staff in the country. So, and bringing in a, a Penn state legend, one of the greats of that era, maybe all time. 
Yeah, it's for sure. Fire. For sure. <laughs> and um, I, I just think it's awesome though. I mean, really, really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a phenomenal, uh, coaching staff, you know, and people, I still think underestimate the value of, you know, someone having like Brian Medlin and Jeremy Hunter around, you know, oh two God. wrestling minds that are just, it's weird. It's they're like encyclopedias and not just encyclopedias, but applied encyclopedias. It'd be like if WebMD was actually accurate on a consistent basis, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I just, I'll come to them with a question and they just say, well, why don't you just do, you know, this one simple thing? And I'm like, well, cause I'm not you. Okay. You know, like I don't, <laughs> I'm not this Rolodex of perfect information apparently, you know, so, but it, that's what makes them everyone, you know, special is they have, not just the skill sets and the accolades, but the ability to profess their knowledge and actually pass it down to a new generation of Illini. Uh, you know, so if, if you are looking at this school, I mean, it's something where I'm not really sure what else you could look for in a program. You know, if you're serious about trying to be the best at wrestling, uh, you should come to U of I. Guaranteed trips to Russia if you, if you act correctly. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You, you know, you step up and you show us what you're made of and that you're, you mean business. Old Sitikov's going to have new practice partners. Oh I'm my saying. God, bro. That's uh, that's awesome. It's been so good to catch up Zane Richards and mm-hmm. you know, I, we didn't get to talk about the high school days, the IKWF days, but you know, your high school coach was the father of the great Allie Reagan past yep. guest, longtime listener. And uh, you know, we just want to give props to those guys. And it's, it's been great to have you on man. Talk a little Illinois wrestling and talk a little Fargo. Yeah, no problem. And uh, all I can say is I'm just grateful for all the opportunities that have been given. You know, I wouldn't be here without, you know, Coach Reagan, my dad, my family, my dogs, even keeping me sane whenever I'm by myself at my house. So whatever it is, you know, whichever loved one in my life, uh, you know, is there with me. It's, you know, it means a lot. And I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, Ryan, I, I just really appreciate the fact that you, you let me, you know, on such a prestigious podcast, you know, my opinion. So thank you. That's crazy to hear, but thank you so much, brother. It is an honor and you're always welcome back. Have a great day and tell everyone down there. We say what's up. All right. No problem. ILL. Thank you for listening to wrestling changed my life. This episode was presented by athletic greens. Go to athleticgreenscom slash WCML to take advantage of a one year supply of vitamin D droplets along with five free travel packs athleticgreens.com slash WCML. If you want to see more from the podcast, go to wrestlingchangemylife.com or follow us on Instagram at wrestlingchangemylife. Until next time.